Welcome to Nightlife, the first hour. Well, tonight we're going to get intimate with your liver, that reddish-brown wedge-shaped organ whose job it is to detoxify much of the nasties that come along with the good stuff that we consume. Uh, our poor old livers, and in fact we always always refer to it as our poor old liver, don't we? Often have to cope with excessive amounts of alcohol. One in three of us has something called fatty liver disease, which experts warn is about to become a significant health problem. We are joined by Dr Paul Gow, a liver specialist at the Austin Hospital in Melbourne and the chair of Hepatitis Victoria's Liver Health Advisory Committee. Paul, good evening. Welcome to Nightlife. Hi, Philip. Thanks very much. Very Well, it's terrific to have you on board too. It's, it's, it's a tremendously important organ. Maybe they all are. I don't know. But the liver is probably more important than most. What exactly does it do? Well, it does all of the sort of intellectual, smart chemistry your body needs. It, I think you described it really well in your introduction. It, it takes out all of the bad things from your gut and puts in all of the good things into your blood that you're, you need to survive. So you've only got one. It needs to work for a long time. Um, and it needs a little bit of tender, loving care. Okay. Well, but um, we know that the stomach digests food. The intestines extract uh the nutrients, your lower intestine, you know, compacts matters and gets rid of the water and so on. Your kidneys act as a bit of a filter. What, so what does the, the liver do that's important to that process? Well, your liver's taking out all of the nasties in your blood, really. Your kidneys... Don't the kidneys uh, do that? No. Yeah, well, they, all they're doing really is getting rid of salt and water, so they're doing a pretty simple task. Uh-huh. But your liver is doing all of the chemistry to detoxify all of the nasties that are floating around in your blood. So all of that is extracted by your liver chemistry and squirted down the bile tube, your bile duct, into your gut, right. and then excreted from there through your, through, your, through your bowel, really. But it's also doing a lot of, you know, it's making a lot of good chemicals that your body needs. It makes your, all of your coagulation factors that allow your blood to clot. Um, okay. It regulates your, helps with your pancreas to regulate your blood sugar. It keeps your body working when you're fasting, you know, it supplies um, sugar to your blood when you're fasting. So it does a, a big mix of, you know, br- really very broad mix of uh, metabolic functions. So does, it, so does it store sugar, does it? It, it's, it stores sugar for a while after you fast. So it, um, when you're not eating overnight, for example, when mm. you're asleep and when you're fasting during the day, it'll break down glycogen, which is a stored sugar in your liver to provide uh, glucose in your blood so it does that for a while after you fast for longer than that then your body starts to break down fat to use for fuel but in the short term it's your liver, liver really helping regulate blood blood sugar control yeah okay all right so it's got nothing to do with with nutrients as such it just it re, it, so it's it's properly understood as a regulator of the blood chemistry is that is that correct a fair way to put it's, it? yeah it's it's your body chemical factory really it's, it's like the control box Getting rid of all of the bad stuff and putting in all of the good stuff that you need. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's it's quite a large organ, isn't it? It's big. It's yeah. you know it's probably two kilograms in size. I yeah, well. I describe it to patients as being sort of the size of a AFL football. So it's quite big. Is it really that big? Yeah. It's, it sits under your ribs, up on the right, and the top of your tummy. Your mm-hmm. ribs protect it. But it, yeah, it's a football-sized organ. Okay. So. I'm told is I don't well we should explore some of these myths about about things. I'm I'm told that the liver is one of the few organs in the body that can regenerate. Is, is that right? 
it's a, it's an it's an amazing organ in lots of ways. It's you're you're I think the the way humans have evolved is that your liver has been exposed to nasty things for a long time. Mm. So this is in sort of evolution. So your liver is designed to be injured and therefore must be designed to recover. So gut infections will injure your liver, bad foods you eat, plant chemicals that are potentially poisonous, all of those things will cause liver damage. And therefore, to survive into adulthood, humans have evolved, humans and other mammals have evolved, that the liver can recover really amazingly well. So medicine ex- you know, expands on that really ability uh, because you can have half your liver removed or 60% of your liver removed for an operation. Mm-hmm. That might be for a cancer operation or something else. And the liver will grow back in a matter of weeks. What will actually a, regrow? It'll regrow really in, a, in an amazingly short amount of time. What, so the actual new tissue, it'll go back to its previous size? Yeah, it'll go back to its similar similar shape, not exactly the same shape, but the same volume. So it'll grow wow. back to exactly where it started. No from. other organ can do that, can it? No, another, no other organ can do that. Your, your skin can do it to a little bit, and yeah. some aspects of kidney function can recover after injury, but not nothing like the liver's regenerative capacity. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's obvious to say that we can't live without them, uh, without the liver. Uh, where would you place it in a hierarchy of important organs after the well, heart? Look, it pays my bills. I'd put it as the number one organ yeah. um, that keeps me entertained and interested. Um but I think all of your organs do, you know, serve an essential function. So you can't live without any one. I mean, of them, you can live without one kidney. You can live. You can't live. You can live without one lung. You can. Uh, you can't do much about the heart. You can't live with half a heart. Uh, you can live without your uh, uh, spleen. You can live without your gallbladder, can't you? You can live without those things, but yeah. you can't. You can't live without a liver. So you can live without uh, a lot of your intestine. That's true. Yeah. Correct. Yep. But there's diseases, for example, that cause what's called acute liver failure, where you go from being perfectly well to unconscious on a ventilator dying in a number of days. Mm. Um, And despite that, your liver, you know, depending on the cause of the condition, your liver can recover. So, um, you know, it serves an essential life-supporting function. Mm. You, you, of course, started, um, I guess... um when you started 20, 30 years ago, you were probably dealing with a whole lot of hepatitis, which was huge at the time. Well, it still is. Uh, I, I know. Explain what hepatitis d- does, why it's such a negative and what it, why it damages liver so much. Yeah. Well, hepatitis literally just means liver inflammation. Right. So there's lots of different things that do that. But in generally speaking, it means a viral infection of the liver. And the commonest ones are hepatitis B and C. And these are really, really common infections worldwide. So mm-hmm. in in people born in Southeast Asia, for example, it might be that one in 12 of those people has got hepatitis B, which has been transmitted from their mother at birth. And they are, that virus lives inside the liver and causes, slowly causes liver damage. And that's a very, very common infection worldwide. Another, another very common infection is hepatitis C. Mm-hmm. And about 1% of Australians are living with hepatitis C. But amazingly, um, you know, in the last few years, there has been a revolution in uh, our ability to cure people of hepatitis C so that it's gone from being a really major cause of premature death in Australia to a very, very uncommon cause of premature death. So we've got, we've now been fortunate with hepatitis C to have very simple tablets that will cure people forever of this, you know, really nasty, potentially lethal infection. Mm. Well, it's, which is very encouraging. 
It's great news. Yeah, fantastic news. Is your is your liver? This is, I suppose, another question, so we can understand it. Is your because over time your heart wears out? Uh, well, it can. Yep. Does your liver ever, if you looked after it, does it does it wear out? Is it, is it in other words, is is I mean, obviously, if it fails, it kills you. But is it the sort of organ that deteriorates over time at the same rate as other things in your body? No. Look, um, look. The I guess if you measured liver function by blood tests, the blood tests of an eighty-year-old or a ninety-year-old, yeah. oh, the liver function tests of an eighty or ninety-year-old might be exactly the same as a teenager. Really? So. Yeah. You know, liver function tests and blood tests, of course, measures a lot of what your liver's doing. Yet, the you know, the liver of an eighty or ninety year old isn't, of course, as resilient and robust as a teenager's. Mm. But it'll it'll do exactly the same job. It'll perform the basic functions it needs to when you're in your ninth decade of life, as it will in your first or second decade of life. So it's you know, it's a it's it's a amazingly tough, resilient organ. Yeah. Okay. Back on hepatitis, then are, are, are we saying now that we believe that what you can, that hepatitis is it's not it's not the danger to your liver that it once was? Absolutely true. So again, just talking about hepatitis B and C, um, there are now really simple, very very effective treatments for both of these conditions. As I said before, if you've got hepatitis C, go and chat with your GP, and you can be given very simple therapy that will probably save your life mm-hmm. it's just tablets goes for a number of weeks it has almost no side effects right. and the cure rates nearly a hundred percent so based on that what it'll, it'll will hepatitis c disappear do you think it'll disappear so in australia like these drugs were licensed in australia about two years ago right. and since then the about a third of the 250,000 people in Australia who had hepatitis C have now had curative therapy. Hmm. So if you're out there and you've got hepatitis C and you've thought, look, it's too difficult, the drug therapy is too complicated, go and chat with your GP or see a specialist and get rid of it. It is it is relatively simple these days to be fixed up. Wow. Okay. And what about hepatitis B? Hepatitis B is a bit more complicated. You can't, there's no, essentially there is no curative therapy. So the virus is really smart, and it actually gets integrated into your own DNA. So usually people are infected as a child from their during childbirth from their mother, mm-hmm. and the virus actually hides inside your own DNA. So it hides from your immune system and essentially is there for life. So there is no therapy we can give people with hepatitis B that will get rid of the virus. So there's no cure. But, and the but is that there are really safe, simple, side-effect-free tablets that will stop liver damage from hepatitis B. So these days you don't die from liver failure from hepatitis B. Mm -hmm. You'll be on a tablet once a day for the rest of your life and hopefully live to a very old age without any serious or life-threatening Okay, well, it's very very encouraging news, isn't it? It's great. It's really important uh, news and, you know, great news. Yeah. Dr. Paul Gow's with us. He's a liver specialist at the Austin Hospital um, in Victoria. And we're talking um, about this marvellous organ in your body and what it does and the things that can go wrong with it. The other major thing that people know that damages your liver is alcohol, of course, isn't it? Would that be the number one thing that damages your liver apart from viral infections like hepatitis? Look, the, the commonest condition that causes liver damage in Australia is what you mentioned earlier, Philip, which is fatty liver disease. So... Alcohol, I think everybody knows it causes liver damage, but mm-hmm. actually 
probably 10 or even 100-fold more common is fatty liver disease. Right. Let's talk about fatty liver disease in one second. But just, but just to clear up alcohol, because I don't know a lot of people listening would think, yes, what about the booze? Why does it hurt your liver? If Well, small amounts of alcohol don't. Like it's, you know, most of our, you know, our gut bugs actually make ethanol, make alcohol, and that's right. circulating in everybody's blood. All small amounts of alcohol are circulating in your blood from the time you're a little baby to the time you die. So small amounts of alcohol are not bad and may in some ways be advantageous. But high amounts of alcohol can't be metabolised properly and that causes damage to your liver. So it's going from your gut up to your liver. It can't be metabolised properly. It's causing damage to the liver cells. Mm -hmm. And over years to decades, the liver's response to long-term injuries to late-hand scar tissue and a scarring that accumulates over time that we call cirrhosis. Right. So alcohol is a very common cause of cirrhosis in our society. Mm. Okay. Um, is there any way of detecting how much that's progressed, if people are concerned about it? Yeah. Again, there's very simple tests to sort out whether you have liver disease, and right. if you have liver disease, how serious it is. So that, is, again, is that what's called a liver function test? Yeah, a liver function test is the blood test that will tell you whether your liver is fantastic, not so flash, or in trouble. Right. And it's a very simple, cheap test your GP could organise if they felt it was necessary. Mm. Okay. So, right. so as long as you stay on top of that then, then, uh, then things ought to be okay. Can we talk about fatty liver disease then? I was interested to read that an extraordinary number of people are affected by it. Yeah, it is. The data is actually, it is amazing. So... The evidence we have is that about a third of the Western world, including Australia, has got this condition, and almost all of them not only don't know it, they haven't even heard about it. So this is a really currently the most common cause of liver disease in the Western world by an absolute mile. What is it? Essentially, it is excess fat that is deposited within the liver. So a normal liver might have a tiny amount of fat that comes and goes. But fatty liver disease is where there is significant amounts of fat that are there permanently. And that fat, like alcohol, causes liver injury. Mm -hmm. And the liver's response to injury is scarring. So over years, this fat can lead on to cirrhosis, just like alcohol can, and can even lead on to liver cancer and death. So it's a a very common, uh, potentially very serious condition. What's it caused by? Is it caused by dietary issues? Yeah, it's a, it's a lifestyle condition. So okay. <laughs> when I went through uh, university in the 1980s, I'd never heard of it. It wasn't, it wasn't actually described to the late 1980s. Right. So it's only for the last 30 years that it's been recognised, and we now know that it is almost exclusively due to lifestyle problems. What, just so, eat, eating rubbish food? Primarily eating rubbish food. So essentially it is related to your body shape. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's got a belly essentially, will have hormonal changes that happen in the whole of your body as a consequence of having fat around your organs, which is called excess visceral fat. Mm -hmm. And these hormonal changes drive fat from where it should be into the liver cells, and that's where it causes damage. So if if you are significantly overweight and or have a lot of belly fat, then almost certainly you've got fatty liver disease. Wow. You say almost certainly. Almost certainly, yeah. So again, how, it's, how much fatty liver disease is is too much? Well, there's a big there's a big spectrum. You can have a little bit of belly fat, and yeah. you're probably going to have trivial or very mild fatty liver disease that'll have no great consequence for you. 
Um, but it's a you know it's a common cause of life-threatening liver disease, mm. and it's not just it's not just your shape, but poor diet, particularly a diet high in seems a bit strange, but actually high in refined sugar rather than fat. Right. So a, a diet high in refined sugars, and actually inadequate exercise. So it's those three things: it's your shape, your diet, um, and whether you exercise adequately or not. That are all of those. They're the three variables that will determine whether you've got fatty liver disease or not. Mm. Daryl from St Ives has texted me a liver joke. I'm sure you've heard these in what form. Is life worth living? It depends on the liver. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> well, in relation to fatty liver disease, that's exactly what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, look, um, again, I think it's important for people to be aware of it. It's liver disease causes no symptoms until your liver's, you know, had really, really serious damage. Right. The same you with fatty might, liver disease. You're talking, correct. You're saying, you yeah. might have fatty liver disease for 20 years. You feel perfectly well. You see your GP, and he might say your liver's fine. But similarly, it's a common story that you go in there and your GP says, you look, you've got cirrhosis, despite really no warning signs. Hmm. All right. Things, does things like cirrhosis and other things, do they appear suddenly, do they, Not rather than gradually? Well, the, you know, as I said, your liver's pretty tough, and it's got a whole lot of built-in redundancy. So... It can have quite a lot of damage and still do a basic job fine. If it's doing its basic jobs fine, you don't know anything's wrong. Right. So it is not till you've had, you know, a potentially life-threatening amount of liver damage that you start to get symptoms. And when you start to get symptoms, that's what we really call liver failure. And that can be a very, you know, that's when your liver is on the edge of a cliff. So you can go from being really quite well to desperately sick. You know, it might Quite be you've quickly. had a condition for 30 years, but you get, you know, life-threatening illness that can develop over six or 12 months sometimes. Mm. Joe says, I had a fatty liver diagnosis. 12 months later, I lost 26 kilograms. Yeah. But now I have normal bloods, thanks to a great yeah. GP. So so is fatty liver disease reversible? Yes. So, you know, as I said before, your liver's designed to get knocked around and bounce back. It's a, you know, it's actually a really interesting um, job I've got and then you can look after people who are desperately sick and get them better yeah. so yeah with fatty liver disease the whole thing is dynamic so if it is from poor diet inadequate exercise and you put on too much belly fat then reverse the precipitants and the whole condition goes away so your hormones change and the fat leaves your liver and your liver function goes back to normal so it's it is a Caused by lifestyle and fixed by lifestyle. And fixed by lifestyle. So there's totally a, reversible condition. So there's a high incentive to get to get on and do something about it. Yeah. Words, yeah. And it's actually, I think, empowering for people to think they can yeah. they can fix it themselves and not necessarily need to be on medication or yep. something like that for the rest of their life. Yep, exactly. A bit like giving up smoking. All right. Eliza from Tweeterhead says, Phil, could you ask your guest about Hep A, Hepatitis A, which we didn't yeah. mention? Yeah. Hep- well, there's lots of... Under that sort of hepatitis umbrella, there's lots of things under there, but mm-hmm. B and C are the common ones and the potentially maybe more life-threatening ones. Hepatitis A, you get and you get rid of, so it's not a chronic or permanent condition. Right. And it's rare in Australia. It's a bug that is carried in the bowel of people who are sick with hepatitis A. Um, and if you're drinking dirty water, for example, in a third-world country or you're eating poorly prepared food in a third world country, then you can eat water that has come really from, you know, the toilets of um, uh, countries overseas with poor health practices. Mm -hmm. And if you're exposed to this virus, then that virus is going to cause liver damage. Um, So it's a a pathogen 
that rarely exists within Australia, right. uh, but it can cause liver injury or it does cause liver injury and it can cause life-threatening liver injury. But has it easily got rid of? There is no there is no medicine for it. Right. So if you're diagnosed with hepatitis A, the treatment is tender loving care. So go home, put your feet up, eat well, and it should resolve. Mm-hmm. But about 1% of people with hepatitis A die from it or end up needing a liver transplant. But in Australia, it's a relatively rare condition. If you're you know, travelling overseas to Bangladesh or India or Pakistan, it's one of those things your GP might suggest you get vaccinated against before you go overseas. Okay, you can vaccinate against it. You can, yeah. yeah. All right, let's take some questions. Um, uh, Paul Gow's with us, Dr Paul Gow. He's a liver specialist at the Austin Hospital and the chair of Hepatitis Victoria's Liver Health Advisory Committee. Lorraine, hello. Hello, and hello to Dr Gow. Hi. Thank you. Um, you've, asked, you've answered lots of wonderful questions. I had to... Uh, in my mind, but um, one thing was I had been a little bit unwell and I had to take Panadol and um, um, anti-inflammatories and the doctor said that Panadol is quite uh, severe on your liver. Is that right? Panadol is actually the safest and simplest tablet to take, probably for pain relief, even in people with liver disease. Oh. But um, if you take too much, then it can cause liver injury, so... Um, what, you know, two tablets four times a day. Two tablets four times a day is safe in almost everybody. Okay, and it was over an extended period. I just had a virus, and I just thought, oh goodness. And they said there was the blood test did show there was something <clears throat> unwell in my liver. And I thought, was that that, or was that that glass of wine? You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I expect it won't have been the Panadol. And if you're having just a glass or two of wine with dinner, I doubt it was the the um, wine you're having either. Any process that causes inflammation, so if you've got pneumonia, had a broken arm, had appendicitis, then that'll upset your liver a bit and your liver tests will be abnormal just for the week or two while you're unwell before going back to normal. Oh, I see. Um, There was another question about, you know, the uh, fact that a glass of wine was the test that, oh, yeah, it's health good for you, just to relax you. But um, somebody said that that was all basically tested on male, not the female, and the um, alcohol for a female is quite, um, well, not very good at all. Is that yeah, this, more the case? Well, this, this is contentious. Um, I'm a believer that moderate alcohol is good. Um, I really like a glass of red wine or white wine overnight, and I sort of... Interpret the literature for my own purposes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but in women, it's associated with a reduction in a whole lot of really common, important, nasty conditions. One of them actually being fatty liver disease. So oh. it appears that small amounts of alcohol reduce the nasty hormones that cause liver fat accumulation. So, oh. you know, a glass of wine four or five nights a week, I think, is good for you. Mm. Oh. oh, that's okay. That's there you go, that's good news. Pretty good. Thank you. See you, Lorraine. Thank you very much. <laughs> pour, yourself a, pour yourself a celebratory drink. Um, a, a number of people on the text line saying, is there any, are these liver cleansing diets which are popular? Uh, is it any better than sitting in a circle and holding hands and singing Kumbaya, <laughs> says, says Alaska John, one of my texters. I, I don't think it is based on Western medicine science, liver cleansing. I think if, if people mean... Um, Reducing excess alcohol, eating uh, more fruit and vegetables, 
and less refined sugar, then I think that will actually help your liver. Mm -hmm. But I I don't think there is any particular liver cleansing diet. Um, You know, we should all be eating what Mother Nature designed us to eat and avoiding the foods that are part of our, perhaps specific to our Western society. And that's as good a liver cleansing diet as you could have. Mm. Okay. Uh, David from the Central Coast. Hi, Dave. How you going, guys? Not bad. Um, I was... When I was um, a young fellow, I caught hepatitis C from a blood transfusion at Parramatta Hospital. Um, I didn't find out until I was about 26, 27 uh, that I had hepatitis C. So um, I went had one of the first trials um, for uh, at John Hunter Hospital to uh, get rid of the hepatitis C out of my system. It was successful, um, and that was in 2009. Um, just curious, um, once it's out of my system and it's undetectable, um, I know the, um, the, um, antibodies will still float around in my system and it'll still yep. be detectable, but the virus is actually dead in my body. It's not there anymore. It's only the, um, uh, the antibodies. Correct. Just curious if, um, if that can, um, change in any way without any other, you know, without catching the disease. Cause I know there's different genomes for, uh, hepatitis C, um, and that was the, one of the things that, that depended on whether I got rid of the disease or not was the genome that I actually had, whether it was yeah. one of the good ones or the bad ones. Yeah, yeah. So you're worried? What you're you wanting to know whether it can reoccur, basically? Yeah, yeah. Whether whether once it's out, unless I catch the virus again, whether yeah. it's, it can lay dormant in my system and until... come to life again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what's the no. story, Paul? David, you're fixed. So cured. It's gone forever. Can't recur. Oh. Um, and the only thing to be wary of, and you, you're a young guy, and I'm sure your liver will have bounced back totally to normal. Oh, but as, <laughs> as people get older, they can have, like before the virus is gone, you can have cirrhosis. Yeah. So one, one little wrinkle in the story is if you've got a lot of scarring and liver damage and then have curative therapy, yeah. um, then that cirrhosis by itself can carry a risk of developing liver cancer in the future. So okay. the virus can't recur once it's gone, you cure it for the rest of your life. Well, and I've, had, um, I've had um, uh, liver function LFTs for the last, oh, for once a year for the last oh, 10 years. And my yep. liver function tests are normal. Yep. Um, but I haven't taken it any further. I haven't had the next uh, level of um, um, testing to make sure that my liver isn't, um, you know, diseased or... Yeah. Because my liver functions are okay, the doctor said there's no need for it. Yeah. You're almost certainly, David, your liver specialist when he treated you back in 2009 would have sorted that thing out. That's one of the sort of bread and butter things for your liver doctor to sort out, whether yeah. you need any future tests to screen you for liver cancer. So yeah, right. I think almost certainly you're fine and fixed up and congratulations. Oh, cool. As long okay. as I don't drink, drink too much or um, eat too much rubbish food. Just look after yourself, Dave. Yeah, that's it. Good Thank you, mate. Bye-bye. My texter says, Phil, uh, just coming off the last caller, Lorraine, about Panadol, I'm on the contraceptive pill as well as doxycycline, which is an antibiotic to help with chronic skin conditions. Does the pill, do the pill or antibiotics damage your liver? The answer is no. So, um, but, and that sort of medicine's a mm-hmm. bit like that. There's always buts. Um, everything, you, everything you eat and all the medications you take will go through your liver. And if you are unlucky enough, you can have rare liver reactions from anything. Right. So any medication, any herbal therapy from your naturopath, from the health food store, 
and any prescribed medication, if you are unlucky enough, can cause liver injury. So again, that is something usually your prescribing doctor will think about and whether the risk-benefit ratio of medications is safe or not. Mm-hmm. The pill or doxycycline causing liver trouble is really rare, but anything can do it. Okay. All right, Peter um, says, Phil, I've got a question about cholesterol in the liver. Why do some people's liver produce more cholesterol than others? Does cholesterol medication reduce production in the liver? What's the best medication for reducing cholesterol in the blood? So all of this goes back to essentially what one of the really interesting things, I think, is that the the changes that happen in your body that cause liver fat accumulation are exactly the same things that are causing almost all of the other diseases that are common in Western society. So this visceral fat, belly fat, causes elevations in this hormone called insulin, Mm -hmm. and that increases your risk of diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, some cancers, all of those common things. So um, it's in some ways not, I guess it's not intrinsically your liver that is the problem. Um, In a lot of people who've got high cholesterol or high blood pressure, the trouble is this visceral fat that is changing your body hormones. And again, all of these things are reversible if you can, you know, if you're able to by reversing the lifestyle precipitant. Mm, Okay. All right. Uh, Carl from Wesley. Hello, Carl. You both. I've got two questions actually now as a result of hearing this. Well, the first one was that I understand that things like um, commercial orange juice and other commercial juices are a prime cause of fatty liver disease. Uh, And and that's of interest because people who, Mm. who think that's actually part of the healthy regime. What about that? What about that, Paul? Is that, is that true? So it gets a little bit complicated. I think um, refined sugar, so that is sugar added to foods, is bad for livers. I think that's a simple rule. But fruit sugar doesn't seem to do it. So if you have 10 oranges a day, there's a hell of a lot of sugar in there, but it's not associated with causing fatty liver disease. Okay. So a glass of orange juice in the morning, for example? If it hasn't got added sugar to it, if it is just natural orange juice with some water added, yeah. then I would think that would be absolutely fine. Although there's a lot of calories, there's, uh, you know, there's potential weight gain issues with it. Sure. But by itself, I think it would be fine. Okay. And your other question, Carl? Well, I was interested in the previous session before you, Philip. The doctor that was on was talking about zero alcohol as being the only safe uh, level, and yet your guest is talking about one glass or so a night. And so it seems like we're getting mixed messages about alcohol from from medical experts. Mm. There's, well, there's, I think, two schools of thought about whether um, small amounts of alcohol uh, have no effect on your health, are good or bad. Um, My reading of the literature is that small amounts of alcohol probably do you have no effect or do you some good. Um, rather than some harm, but it, there, is a, it is a contentious area, isn't it, Paul? We've done programs, we've done programs area, on yeah. it, and there, is, there, is, there is actually not a definitive answer one way or the other, is there? No. Even small well, amounts of alcohol, um, they should be having no alcohol, and you know, even small amounts of alcohol increase your risk of mouth cancer and throat cancer, and in women, there's an association with an increased risk of breast cancer, but at the same time, they're reducing the risk of you know, diabetes, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It's got a small effect on probably lowering blood pressure. Uh, and it's actually associated with a reduction in the risk of some cancers. Mm. So there's pluses and minuses, and it depends how you look at the data. Okay, thanks, Carl. Um, Mary says, does taking statins over the long term affect the liver? Statins are basically cholesterol-reducing drug, drugs. Cholesterol-reducing um, drugs. Paul? 
Um, no, they're perfectly fine and safe, and they actually have some liver health benefits. So okay. they can up, like all, as I said before, any medication can upset your liver blood tests, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up with any serious liver disease. But um, they reduce your cholesterol, they lower your risk of having a heart attack or a stroke, and they actually have some protective effects from developing, you know, cirrhosis. So I think they're a net good rather than a net mm. bad drug. Okay, Val, hello. Yes, um, I've, um, I'm 81, and 12 months ago I was diagnosed with hepatitis C with uh, cirrhosis and aesthetes, and um, I lost about 8 kilos, but I put on 2 kilos, and my last two blood tests have been uh, a bit high, and I, uh, my specialist had put me on... I had been on 5 milligrams of prednisone for it, well, he put me up to 10, for a four, 10 milligrams for a fortnight and then back to 7.5 for another fortnight. But you were talking about something that you can cure it. If it's hepatitis C, Val, then you should chat with your doctor about getting antiviral medication to get rid of the virus forever. So if your liver disease is due to hepatitis C and you have the antiviral medication, then what should happen is that slowly your liver should improve with time rather than gradually getting worse. Yes. Well, so, I've, um, I've never used... Um, I never put sugar on anything. And uh, the last 12 months, I've cut out even... Uh, I've, I've never hmm. um, put salt in when I'm cooking, and, but I used to you, put but, some on. Val, has your doctor told you that you have got hepatitis C? Yes. Well, Paul... Yeah, she's, uh, what you're saying is that there is an act, there's, there's a definite treatment for this. There is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. go back and chat go about and it talk, with yeah. your GP or specialist, Vella, whoever's managing yes. you. But you should, you should have a discussion with them about getting rid of your virus forever. Yes. Well, I've got to ring him tomorrow to find out what I had a blood test today and uh, to see what my readings are at the moment. Ask him tomorrow, Val. Yes, I will. And then also I got a letter from my specialist in Brisbane. I live in Rockhampton, mm-hmm. and he said he wanted to see me and maybe change my medication, but he didn't say what to because I've also got um, bronchiastasis mm. and some osteoporosis. Uh, yeah. that, that All right. Val, yeah, well, ask him the question tomorrow because by the, what Paul is saying, there's, there's a treatment for this. Yes. And okay. Does All he know what, what is the antivirus medication? There's lots of different ones available, Val. So there's, yeah. you know, all sorts of competitors on the market trying to come up with a recipe that is most popular. But there's yeah. lots of different options. So raise it with your your specialist, I think, who mm-hmm. um, I'm okay. sure will be able to resolve that for you. Okay. Yes. yes, well, he put me onto a high-protein, high-energy, yeah. low-salt diet. And um, so I've been trying to keep to that as much as I can. Well, that'll put a spring in your step as well, Val. All right. Um, good luck with it. Ask the specialist because by the sound of what um, is is what we're saying, there should be a solution to it. Uh, Brian from Ooze in Tassie. G'day, Brian. Good evening, Phil. Good evening, Doctor. Um, I've been a, an organic gardener for so many years, and that's before I came out here. And uh, in the old days, and I learned from all the old uh, gardeners and council workers, that the night soil wagon would take the human waste and they used to compost it and they used that on the council gardens. And um, I do know the theory, and it does work if you've got a cubic metre and all compostable, a compostable material, that you get to a temperature which gets rid of all the pathogens. 
But uh, Peter Kundal said on the ABC programme here, the gardening programme on Saturday, just last, uh, someone uh, phoned in and said, is human faeces all right in compost? And unless people have got uh, the right approach to gardening and they might use a cold compost as opposed to a hot compost, what are the dangers of passing on any form of hepatitis through that? I just thought it's important to ask that question. Paul? Yeah, that's Hmm. a tough question, actually. Um, You know, that's almost a question for an infectious diseases expert or a public health expert. But if you had, for example, if you had hepatitis A, then that bug is coming out every time you go to the toilet and your stool will be full of virus. That's how the virus is spread. And anyone else who's potentially exposed to that can get infected. Mm. So um, I, I think that sounds but having I think that sounds potentially dangerous. Having said what I said before, that hepatitis A by itself is rare in Australia. Mm, okay, it doesn't it doesn't sound like a very uh, sound practice though to to use it in manure. I wouldn't have thought. Um, Cass in Thatcher in Queensland. Hi, Tass. Where are you? Here we are. Hello. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Hi. Um, now, Dr. Gale, I have been diagnosed with hemochromatosis, um, as have most of my siblings and parents. Um, I've been told I have the equivalent of a full-blown alcoholic liver, um, and my next step is a liver biopsy. Is a fibre scan actually better than a um, biopsy? So I'll just go and explain what hemochromatosis is. So um, it's a very common genetic condition where your body is a an avid, absorb, avid absorber of iron and that excess iron is deposited in your liver and causes liver damage. You can end up, like most liver conditions, potentially with cirrhosis and or liver cancer from it. Yep. yep. So the issue for your specialist is just, you know, he's got the diagnosis so he or she knows what's wrong. And the treatment is pretty easy. The treatment is to take blood off you like you go to the blood bank and with that, they the body gradually gets the excess iron removed. But the issue for your doctor is to figure out whether you've got cirrhosis. So cirrhosis means lots of scarring and the importance of cirrhosis is that you're at increased risk of liver cancer and needs to have screening for liver cancer for the rest of your life. Right. So that, that can be quite tricky to sort out. A biopsy, it's a pretty good test. It'll tell your you and your doctor, yes or no, whether you've got cirrhosis. and But a fibre scan and even an MRI scan are helpful. None of them are perfect. The biopsy would be the gold standard. That would be the uh, the most definitive way to get the answer. But a fibre scan and MRI scan can be quite helpful, but they're not as good as a biopsy in resolving that for your specialist right. task. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, thank you very much. Right, Cass. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Um, oh, Stephen from Griffith. Hello, Stephen. So, uh, yeah, so in type 1 diabetes, what happens is your your pancreas stops making the hormone insulin, and that hormone is life-saving, and without it, you die. And uh, what your doctor will be prescribing that in that instance is replacing essentially physiological insulin. So it's replacing what your body can't make um, with an, 
equivalent levels of insulin in a syringe. So you might be giving an injection four times a day. So that insulin will cause no liver damage at all. But having said that, having high blood sugar, and that is quite common in people with diabetes, that high blood sugar, your body perceives that as like you've had a burger or a burger with fries or a big Coke. Your body doesn't like that those big fluctuations in blood sugar and that you will get excess liver fat deposited. In a teenager with diabetes, I don't think that's a big issue. But in older diabetics, it can become a big issue with poorly controlled diabetes contributing to fatty liver disease and therefore accelerating that potential pathway towards cirrhosis. But uh, just to summarise that question, the insulin by itself is perfectly safe. And I think the liver part of your mm. child's health sounds a pretty minor part of it. Okay. So checking his uh, liver in the future would be beneficial? Yes. Obviously, controlling his blood sugar as good as possible will mean he has the best outcome with all of his organs in the long term. And, of course, um, his specialist or GP could check how his liver's going just with a simple blood test, a liver function test. Okay. All right. I uh, hope that uh, helps, Steve. Um, we're talking about the liver with Dr. Paul Gow, and uh, he's a liver specialist from the Austin Hospital in Melbourne. Uh, my text says, I'm in my 30s. I've been on Norflex and Gabapentin for a number of months for a back injury. Initially, I was to take Panadol Osteo with the Norflex. Any of these likely to cause my liver grief? Um, not particularly. I think um, you know most of the medications that make their way onto the market are uh, reviewed by the, the government to make sure they're safe. Um, these medications are pretty simple and pretty safe. But as I said before, if you're unlucky enough, any medication can upset your liver. Sure. But that, you'd have to be pretty unlucky. Now, they sound like they're appropriate therapies. Yeah. Okay. Um, Jenny from Tamworth. Hello, Jen. Gentlemen. Yes, I have a question about um, steroids. I've come down with uh, a rheumatoid arthritis rather severely in the last six months. And uh, to ease the pain and give me a little bit of freedom, I've just been taking Panadol Osteo. And um, it helps up to a point, but not not very well. Now, yesterday I saw my GP and he suggested um, a short uh, spell on uh, steroids. Now, I know nothing about steroids whatsoever, but he's suggesting a five days, five to, five to seven days on and... and Okay, I took my first one yesterday and within six hours I had relief and the same thing today, so I've only got three more days to go. What I'm wondering is, what I know nothing about steroids. What do they do and how can they have any harmful effects on the liver? Yeah, look, these are life-saving medications. They are miraculous therapies. Our bodies make a chemical called cortisol. That's a hormone that makes our body work normally. And drug companies have copied this and turned it into a medication called prednisolone. So this is a potent anti-inflammatory medication that reduces inflammation really anywhere in your body. And in you, your GP has given it to you to reduce the inflammation in your joints. From a liver point of view, in the short term, no issue at all, perfectly safe. And as you've described, it's a potentially miraculous therapy for all sorts of conditions. Uh, and he said, well, it would bring the pain level down and maybe it would be right for a few weeks or months to, to remain on the Panadol and maybe the Panadol can do the job then for a while but the pain level may come up again and, and then I would uh, go back on the, uh, 
on the steroid. Is, does that make sense? That makes sense, yeah. As I said before, Panadol's simple and cheap and safe. It doesn't affect your liver unless you're having too much of it. No, but if I'm going... Oh, too much. Well, what do you call too much? I'm too much is more than eight tablets a day or more than more than four grams a day, depending oh, on the size of your tablet. Well, I've only been taking um, four tablets a day, two in the morning and two in the evening. Yeah, that's fine, safe and, and safe. But, I mean, I hope I've got <laughs> 10 or 15 years left to live. So um, I think once you have uh, rheumatoid, you always have it, have you? Um, once you've got rheumatoid arthritis, you've always got it. But there's lots of alternative therapies. So Panadol and or prednisolone won't be the end of treatment options. No. If they're effective for you, that's great. But if they're not effective, then chat to your GP about right. other therapies. Methotrexate was mentioned at some stage, and I've heard rather negative things about methotrexate, and I'm resisting going down that path. Yeah. Well, look, prednisolone and Panadol work in the short term, so they'll help your joints today or tomorrow, mm. but they're not going to help it for weeks or months. Oh, okay. And there's another group of medications that work really slowly mm. and reduce that inflammation down long term, and one of them is methotrexate. So there's lots of options, and there's you know pros and cons for all of these different options talk, that talk your to, GP would think about. Talk to your doctor. Thanks, Jen. Thank you very much. Good, Good on you. Bye bye. Um, we're talking with Dr. Paul Gow about uh, your liver, Carl. Sorry, you've been waiting on there for a bit. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Thank you, doctor. That's okay. Um, I'm, I'm not the doctor, but go anyway. Go on, Carl. Okay, okay. I'm 75 years old. Mm -hmm. I've been a heavy drinker for the last 30 years. I drink about like a couple of beers at lunchtime, one and a half bottles of wine, a couple of squatches before I go to bed. So when I hear all those reports, oh, one drink a day will be good for you, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm asking, I'm constantly, my doctor checks my blood every three months. My liver is all right. And uh, when I go to specialists and uh, blood specialists, a hobo, whatever they're called, I asked him, I said, look, why am I still alive? Why? He said, oh, <laughs> thank your genes, you told me. <laughs> what, you, you think you've, you think you've drunk, your, drunk, drunk your share by now, Carl? <laughs> yeah, well, look, why? I mean, when they say all those reports on the radio and in the press, what you could drink and what I drink, it, it's about 50 times as much as I recommend. <laughs> What's the story here, Paul? I agree with what Carl's been told by his doc. I think he's had good genes and he's lucky. So, you know, not all smokers get lung cancer and die right. from it. Um, I think you can drink too much and be live to a healthy old age and you can, you know, you can die uh, young from moderate drinking in some people. So the, what what you've described, Carl, I think you've, you've drunk too much, but you're 75 and good luck to you. Yeah. All right, Carl. Enjoy, happy enjoy Thank happy you. days. Yes. No. Well, I mean that's that's a general point about health, isn't it, Paul? That that uh, some things you know do definitely cause results, but others, you know, when taken across the population, cause results may not always in individual yeah. cases. That's the point. Yeah, we're all unique experiments. You know, what's yeah. true for one person may not be true for the other. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, Jen from Bodonga. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. Paul. Um, look, I've just recently. Well, just a couple of days ago, being diagnosed with pancreatitis and incidentally found to have fatty liver disease. So what's the connection there, apart from too much alcohol? 
Um, so pancreatitis, for those who don't know, is inflammation of the pancreas gland and it's a potentially really serious condition. And the common things that cause it are too much alcohol is probably number one. And number two is gallstones getting stuck in the tube that drains the pancreas, the pancreatic duct. So they're the common things. That's been eliminated. Yeah. Well, if, um, um, I don't want to explore your alcohol history, um, Jen, but um, alcohol... Uh, will cause pancreatitis and also causes excess liver fat. So that might be the link. But also, um, you know, fatty liver disease by itself is quite common, as we discussed before, with a third of the population having it. So it's possible that two conditions have got the same cause or there's possibly a couple of things going on with you. It's a bit bit hard to say. Mm, okay. All right. So, Paul, in summary, how, how how do we look after our liver? It's a pretty resilient organ from what you're saying. Uh it does repair itself, uh, but it's vital to us. How do we look after it? Um, the simple message, I think, is don't drink too much. You know, do all of the things your You'd mum told too you much or is, mother. Too much is more than a couple a day. More than two a day for men and more than one a day for women is too much. Mm-hmm. So I think moderate alcohol at most, exercise, high fruit and vegetable diet, and watch your waste. I think they're the general things. And if you're concerned, go and chat with your GP about whether some tests are necessary. Mm. In other words, it's not unexceptional advice. It's the advice you'd have for a lot of lot of things. I mean, correct, yeah, yes. which most of us know. What about yep. ibuprofen? Says my texter, by the way. Any? Yeah, that's a another painkiller. You know, it's an yep. anti-inflammatory medication. Same as I've said for all of these other medications. Generally, really safe. If you're unlucky enough, you can get liver injury from anything, but generally pretty safe medication. And just quickly, Nick um, is taking Somac for uh, gastric reflux long-term. Does that damage your liver? No, no, no worries okay. at all. All right, just because I know a lot of people have, uh, are, take these medications. That's the only reason we ask the questions. All right, Paul, it's been a, you're a mine of information. <laughs> I thought you might right. be. You might be. But uh, been very helpful tonight too, and it's been I great think. to have your expertise. Thank you. Thanks very much to everybody. Good on you. Dr. Paul Gow, a liver specialist at the Austin Hospital in Melbourne. Thanks for all the calls as well. I hope some of that was uh, helpful too. Interesting, isn't it? You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife. 